Today, we're going to be starting a new sermon series. And this new sermon series, we're going to be talking about God's dream for your relationships, for your family specifically. We're going to be looking at what does the Bible say when it comes to our family, our relationships, raising kids, friendships, marriage, all kinds of different topics that we'll cover from now until Father's Day. And really to get this thing kicked off, I just... Is there a problem? Oh, there's a bee. No problem. I... We've ha- I've had an issue with bees this morning. I'm just going to tell you, I opened that closet, and there apparently there's some bees that found their way into the closet, so they found me to start the morning this morning. So I want to say on this Mother's Day, some of you came this morning, and you had breakfast in bed. Some of you enjoyed hugs from family. Some of you were welcomed this morning to flowers and chocolate and balloons. Some of you at the end of the service today are going to have lunch and, and meals where your family celebrates you. Others of you get to spend time today with your mom, who may be one of your closest friends. And these are all things for us to celebrate together as a people. But I also recognize that there's others of you here today on this Mother's Day that find Mother's Day to be a a difficult day. Because some of you long for children that you have not yet been able to have. And others of you are reminded on this day of children that never lived to, to make their way out of your womb. Some of you are grieving the death of your own mother, and others of you are grieving the relationship that you have with your mother. Maybe it's broken and fractured from long ago. Others of you are struggling with uh, relationships with mom that we'll just say are less than ideal. I know that family can be an incredibly difficult thing for many of you, and I'm not going to pretend here that it isn't. But here's one of the things I want to just encourage you with as we start off this morning, is I know that Jesus cares deeply for you, regardless of how good or bad your morning and your season has been. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 tells us this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I know you've probably seen this verse many times before, but I think God has so much to say to us in this verse. He's reminding us this morning that he's walked on this earth and he's experienced this life that you and I are now living. He understands your weakness and in your weakness, he invites you to draw near to him. He wants to help you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to uphold you with his righteous right hand. We are invited to come near to God in our brokenness, in our hurt, and the Bible says that we will receive grace and peace and rest. And friends, I pray that this would be a day that you would experience the grace of God. If Mother's Day is a difficult day for you, I just want you to know that Jesus is right now in heaven interceding on your behalf. And the Spirit of God is alive in us, interceding the will of God for our life. Psalm 34, 18 tells us the Lord is actually close to, He's near the brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, can we just set something straight? If we're going to talk about family and we're going to talk about relationships over this next several weeks, can we set something straight? In our perfectly curated Instagram world, Every mom, especially, feels like they are failing at being a mother. 
They feel like they don't feed their kids right. They don't discipline their kids right. They don't clean their house right. They definitely don't go on vacations in the right way. Their husbands must not love them as much as other husbands love their wives because they haven't received fresh wildflowers picked from mountaintops, delivered with their latte like their friend has. They may or may not have gotten back into their pre-pregnancy genes within six weeks like their friends did. How do they get all five perfectly dressed children with their hair done to smile for the camera at the same time on a beach in Maui? (laughs) So we feel like we're doing it wrong. We feel like we're the worst. And we feel like we are failing at the most important job in the world. But friends, we have to remember that all of those perfectly curated images that bombard us on a daily basis through social media are not everything that they seem to be. They don't ever show the many tears that have been cried, the second fast food trip of the week because you still haven't had time to get that meal plan made yet, the huge family argument that resulted in them getting those outfits on for the picture, The picture of that failed cake, the first one that they made before the successful one. The picture of the kids when they smeared literally everything they could find on every clean surface in your house. Every single one of them. That fight that happened with the spouse that preceded him getting the flowers and the latte. Those sessions in marriage counseling that led to the decision to take that family vacation. You see... We're sharing those happy moments. We're sharing our wins and those little slivers into our life. But meanwhile, other people are holding up those things in comparison and feeling like they're failing. But friends, this is just simply not the truth. It's not an honest look at each other's life. And I love this about the Bible. The Bible tells the truth warts and all. It doesn't ever paint a picture of everything being clean and pretty and just right. In fact, when Matthew sets to tell us about Jesus's family tree, he's going to lay out Jesus's family lineage. Matthew goes out of his way to show us how dysfunctional Jesus's family tree really was. Matthew points out that there are prostitutes and Gentiles and really, really screwed up people that found Found their way into Jesus's family tree. And then think about the fact that Jesus is born into this world into scandalous situation. He's born to a virgin mother in a tight-knit uh, familial uh, community unit. He's, her, his mom is widowed at some point. We don't know when, but at age 12, Joseph is on the scene. And then we don't ever hear of Joseph again after that. So Jesus grows up in a home with a lot of brokenness. In fact, His own brothers and sisters don't believe that he is the Christ. Listen to what Mark 3, 20 and 21 says. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he's out of his mind. Now let's face it. If your 30-year-old brother, who had been a carpenter his entire life, began preaching and teaching that he was the Messiah, you would probably think he had lost it too. So if you come into this place today and you are feeling like my family is a mess, then you're in good company. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets you. But here's what I love. After the resurrection, you know, you got brothers and sisters who don't believe 
and then you raise again from the dead. And his biological family now believes he's the son of God. In fact, his half-brother James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem and writes the book of James. Another half-brother Jude writes that little short book that's nestled in there right before Revelation. We find out that Jesus' mother Mary one of, was with the disciples a lot through his ministry and was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was first poured out. See, here's what I want to tell you this morning. Jesus has a dream for your family and for your relationships. And I believe that when you discover and walk in his dream for your family, you can find healing and hope and restoration no matter how hard and broken and difficult your situation with your uh, family of origin might be. So, Here's my big idea for today and why we're starting here in this series. I truly believe this with all my heart. In Christ, you have a new, expanded, and forever family. You see, friends, we're gathered in this place today as a local church body that God has joined together that he's brought together so that no matter how broken and difficult your family of origin may be, there's a brand new family for you to belong to, and it's going to go on forever and ever. Now, I just want you to see, uh, the New Testament is full of this imagery, and one of the things that I just love is how Paul specifically talks to the churches that he helped to establish. One of the greatest examples of this is found in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And what I love about the, the church in Thessalonica is, remember, Paul was only there for a few short weeks just three weeks. He got into town and things were so bad and so challenging and difficult. He was chased out of town just three weeks after arriving. And yet, Look at how he talks to the church in 1 Thessalonians 2, 5-12. through 12. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you, but instead... We were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God that we were devout and honest and flawless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom of glory. You see, here's one of the reasons I think people miss out on the many, many benefits to belonging to, in a vital way, belonging to and having a relationship with a local church family. One of the reasons people miss out is they think of the church as an organization. They think of a church meeting like the PTA club or AARP or a local organization, but the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. See, 
Others think a church like a club. It's the Rotary Club. It's the Lions Club. But the church isn't a club. It's a family. The church isn't an institution like a government. It is a family. See, one of the most beautiful portraits of God that you can find in Scripture is Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. This is what it says about our Father God. He is the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. See, the church is the setting in which God sets the lonely into families. Look at verse 6 one more time. Here's it from a different translation, the NIV. It says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God places, God sets the lonely into a family. The church, friends, is not somewhere we go. It is a family that we are called to belong to. Mark 3, 31 through 34. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. So now we're talking about Jesus' family of origin. Okay? They arrive on the scene, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. You see, Jesus used this opportunity where his natural family of origin was present to teach this wonderful new truth, a new understanding that the people that would follow Jesus, that the people that would belong to Jesus would become a family in a very real way. We would belong to each other. Now, there's this thing that's going on right now. I'm just going to tell you. There's a common thing where we start to say things like this. Well, everyone on the planet is a child of God. Some want to say everybody belongs to God's family. That sounds popular. It sounds politically correct, but it's not biblical. See, everyone is a creation of God and everyone is loved by God and God has a desire for all to be part of His family. But only those who believe and receive the free gift of salvation join into the family of God. In fact, Jesus teaches us that there's two families on this earth. There are two fathers of two different families. Here's what He teaches to the Pharisees, John 8, 44. For you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 John 3.10 So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others, other believers, does not belong to God. So Jesus teaches there's actually two different families that we can belong to, friends. And there's two completely, the characteristics of those two families you will find all throughout Scripture. 
We, as believers in Jesus, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, have become members. You've been born into, you've been adopted into Jesus' new family, the church. And let me just tell you, there are some big-time benefits to belonging to Jesus' family. Enormous. So let's look at them. Okay, so here's point number one. If you're a note taker, you've got a note sheet there. If you're watching live online, you can click the little note tab and you can fill this out with us too. But number one is in Jesus's family, the church, we care for each other. We care for each other. Think about how Paul addressed the church in Thessalonica. Again, he said, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you, but instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. The words Paul chose to use here were the words that provide this analogy for us of a protective mother nursing her children, caring for her kids. It's the same word that was used when Jesus described looking out and being like a mother hen who wanted to bring the chicks in underneath her wings. It's the same words that Jesus used when he wept over Jerusalem. And he said in Matthew 23, How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? We live today in an increasingly impersonal culture. People are connected more and more virtually to each other now through texting and social media. But all of this supposed connection has come with it a massive increase in loneliness. In fact, just 13 days ago, on May 1st, the U.S. Surgeon General, I got a picture of it, released this report, ringing the the alarm bells for what's happening in our nation with this report titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. As a culture, we've become increasingly isolated and lonely. And it's having a terrible, why does the Surgeon General care about this? Because it's having a terrible effect on our health as a people. In fact, In their study, they found that the levels of loneliness that people are experiencing are comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes per day on your body. It says that you have a 29% increase in heart disease, a 32% increase in risk of stroke, a 50% increase in risk of developing dementia for older adults. Here's a quote. In the last few decades, we've just lived through a dramatic pace of change. We move more. We change jobs more often. We are living with technology that has profoundly changed how we interact with each other and how we talk to each other. Going on, it says, and you can feel lonely even if you have a lot of people around you because loneliness is about the quality of your connections. The U.S. Surgeon General says because of the rapid pace of life that's happening, the increase in this pace, we are seeing this epidemic only grow. And in certain age groups, friends, it's even more uh, startling. The advisory group that put together this report said that young people age 15 to 24 
15 to 24, have 70% less social interaction with their peers than the prior generation before them. The impact that is going to have on us as a people is incredibly bleak. People are lonely. People are longing for real relationships. And here's the thing. That's exactly what the church has to offer. The church is the antidote to this problem. The church as the family of God that's called to lovingly care for each other like a nursing mother. I just read a report as I, this shocked me this week and I was reading all that I could find. I read a report about uh, this group in Japan who has started this new uh, idea where you, an elderly person can rent a family member to come to their house if they're feeling lonely. So what you do is you call the number and you tell them I need a son or a daughter or a grandchild. Whatever it is that you want, they show up to your door and they pretend like they haven't seen you in years and they spend time with you. Now, this might sound a little weird, but listen, people are paying $1,130 for three hours of connection with another person. The woman who founded this ministry was a successful entrepreneur who hadn't seen her own mother in years, but was sending office workers from her staff to visit her mom and thought, this is so successful, I should find a way to help other people do this as well. Here's a quote from the article. What is common about our clients is that they are thirsty for human love. Now I can save you a lot of money and awkwardness because you rented a grandchild by telling you to belong to a local church family where you can be loved on and cared for for free. Okay? That's what the church is all about. We care for each other. Here's the next thing we do. Number two, we serve each other. We serve each other. One of the ways Paul was serving the local church in Thessalonica, he points out in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we were not a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. They were serving in the local church. This is the church that Jesus has designed. Scripture is loaded with this truth that we as a family are called to take care of each other and to serve each other. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Doesn't that sound like what we need? Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think that actually sounds a lot like discovering God's dream for our life to walk in and obtain it, to actually see the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Who doesn't want that? Anyone? 
Who doesn't want to to experience that? Well, what does Paul say? We experience that when we are all working together and serving one another. As each of us brings what God has given us to serve the other people in the body, as a family caring for and serving one another, we mature, we grow. This is what we need, friends. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Don't you want to experience God's grace in its various forms? I mean, that's just a wonderful statement. And the Bible says, if you want to experience God's varied grace, then you need to have varied people serving in their varied gifts in the body of Christ. As we serve together, each of us brings something different to the family. The family, that is what we are, friends. We care for each other. We serve each other. And three, I love this one, we encourage each other. We encourage each other. See, Paul didn't just love them like a mother and care for them. He didn't just serve them like a worker. He also, like a good father, spoke encouragement to the family. Again, let's look at it. Chapter 2, 11 and 12. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you. We encouraged you. We urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom of glory. Friends, listen up close. I know it's Mother's Day, but dads, I got something I need to say to you today. One of the most important roles you have in your family is as an encourager, as someone who speaks encouragement on a regular basis. And I'm just going to tell you, in our culture, that is not the first word that usually comes to people's mind when we speak about fathers as an encourager. One of the encouragements we should be giving our kids on a regular basis are these two things. I love you and I am proud of you. I say these because the most perfect heavenly father that ever exists, our father in heaven, spoke those two words of encouragement over his own son, Jesus. Matthew 3, 17 at Jesus' baptism. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. What's he telling him? I love you. And I am proud of you. He was telling Jesus how proud he was of him. He was encouraging Jesus. And friends, as we belong to the local church, one of the things we are called to do is to be encouragers of each other. Encouragement is life-giving. When someone speaks a word of encouragement for you, it can last a lifetime. On the flip side, when someone discourages you, it can last a lifetime too. Encouragement is such a powerful thing in a family, in a church family. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is a critical understanding for us as the local church. God has asked us, he's called us, he's commanded us to be a place of encouragement to one another. 
to be a place where we speak life into each other. Can you just picture this for me? How much people are missing out on. They don't have a family that's caring for them. They don't have a family to serve them. They don't have people to encourage them. The local church is so important, friends. Really genuinely belonging to each other. So how do you become part of this family? How do you make your way into the family? I just love, actually, there's three ways that you get into your natural family, right? In a natural family, you can be born into the family that you're in. You can be adopted into the family you're in, or you can marry into the family you're in. Well, guess what? The Bible uses all three analogies for us about how we join in to the family of God. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We are born into this new family. And I'll just say, friends, you had no choice in the matter of your family of origin in when and how you were born. Okay, you didn't choose, you didn't pick any of that. But the beauty of the family of God is you get to become part of this family. You get to choose to believe in God and join into this family. So no matter how broken your family may be, there's a brand new family here for you. And it's real, friends. It's so real. Romans 8.15 So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. God adopted you. He chose you. He picked you special. He sought you out. He said, that's the one I want. That's the one I want to be my son. That's the one I want my, to be my daughter. And He adopted you into His family. And now it says that we're able to call Him Abba, father. That's a big word, friends. Abba, the Bible has several words for dad. The one that's used most often is this word patter. Patter is like that formal. He's the father of the family, right? He's the head of the household. But Abba is the word that the little child would first say. It's daddy. It's papa. The Bible says he's adopted us so that we have an intimate relationship with him. And then there's one other way we can join a family. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says this, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God Himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. You were chosen. He sought you. He, he literally, you came into this family through marriage. It's a beautiful picture. And you need to understand this because I think for some of you, you're struggling here today because you are such a mess. Amen, anyone? Right? You're a mess. And so you feel like, man, life is messy. And I just, you know, I've been in church before. I belong to a local church. It was a mess. There was problems in that church. And they all kinds of bad things that happen. So I just think it's better for me to sit this one out. I just love the quote from Charles Spurgeon. I've given it to you many times as a church, and I just want you to hear it one more time. He says this, 
give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. See, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I'd found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, then it's right for everyone, and then the testimony of God would be lost in the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty, but that's no excuse for you not joining it. If you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help that they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is a nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. See, friends, we're not a club. We're not an institution. We're not an organization. We are a family. And every single person needs a family. When a child is born, more than any other need that they have, when they are born, they need first and foremost a family, someone who will care for them, someone who will wrap them up, someone who will feed them, someone who will watch over them. They cannot survive outside of the womb without a family. And friends, all around us, in our city right now, in this epidemic of loneliness, are orphans without a family. People who are struggling through life on their own, without people to care for them and serve them and encourage them, without a community of people rooting for them, without someone who checks in on you and who loves you genuinely and cares about you and prays for you. All around us. Just look at pop music. For generations, uh, artists have been writing songs about this reality. Roy Orbson sang, Only the lonely know the way I feel tonight. Elvis crooned, Are you lonesome tonight? Hank, Will Hank Williams said, I'm so lonesome, I could cry. The Beatles said, Ah, look at all the lonely people. See, I've heard it said, that cities are just a place where lonely people gather to be together in their loneliness. And friends, it's so sad that in the world in which we live, if I were to take a poll in this room and ask you just things about like your neighbors and the people who live across the street and the people who live next door, I'll bet you a common thing I would discover is that we all know of people who are incredibly isolated and alone who are struggling with loneliness, but God's given us an antidote. Band, you can come back up. 
God has given us an antidote. And I believe that one of the things that God is going to use to really genuinely bring revival in our time. How many of you, by the way, would like to see revival in Silverton in our time? Yes, if your hand's not up, shame on you. Right. I want to see revival. I pray for revival. And here's what I know. Revival, I believe the conditions are right. I believe what Jesus said when he said, look up. The fields are ripe for the harvest. And I believe that one of the ways that we are going to see a harvest brought in is through the genuine love that we demonstrate to each other as a family. The way we care for each other. The way we encourage each other. The way we serve each other. Because when the world sees that, they go, oh, that's what I'm missing. That's what I don't have. I don't have people who love me and care for me in that way. And friends, we as the local church, through the Holy Spirit's empowerment, are the antidote to that problem. So I want to encourage you today, no matter what you are here today facing, no matter how hard Mother's Day may be for you, that I believe that in this place today, God wants to deepen your relationship with your church family. That by being connected to the church family, you can see God's dream for your life and his health and his resources flow out into your family of origin. That by being connected to Jesus and his bride, you can actually experience the goodness of God in your families. Is that what we want? I just believe with all my heart, friends, that God's calling us to stop viewing church as part of our life, as something we do, as something that we go to on Sunday mornings, but to see our family growing, strengthened, deepening our love for each other. I believe today that as we worship the Lord, that God will begin laying on your heart, even today, people who you know are lonely and struggling. Some of you are in this room today. It's you that I'm talking to. You are struggling with isolation, with loneliness, with hurt. You have kids that have run away from your home. Maybe not literally, but figuratively, they're just not around. You have moms that your relationship is so broken. And on this day, what God would want you to know is that he has a family for you, a perfect family bride. No, she's not perfect because she's full of imperfect people, but yet she's perfect in that she's the local church, God's dream, his plan to see this world saved. So I just want to encourage you as we worship, maybe you'd begin to ask the Lord, is there somebody that I need to reach out to today? Is there someone that I need to encourage today? Is there someone that needs a message today? Even while we're worshiping that you'd get your phone, you're allowed to use your phone. Listen, I'm giving you permission. Take your phone out, send them a text. Send them a word of encouragement. Maybe this would be a place today where this spirit of encouragement and care would rise up in this place and would spill out into our city.